Well, good morning again. Every time I see that video, I'm just reminded of what the book of John is all about. That statement from John chapter 20, that God has placed these things in the gospel of John that we would believe, and in believing we'd find life. And so that's what we're going to see again today in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, uh, this passage, we're going to see people come face to face with Christ again and the claim of Christ, who he is, and we're going to see that many of them see, hear, and they believe. And so that's my, my prayer for us today, uh, even in this service, that some of us would start this service not knowing Christ, but hearing his truth. By the end of it, we would believe in that truth. So John chapter 8, if we haven't met yet, my name is Ryan. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and we're grateful to have all of you here today worshiping King Jesus with us. And now we're going to hear from his word and let it shape and change our lives. So John chapter 8, we'll start in verse 12, and we'll go through verse 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, are you bearing witness about yourself? For your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I've come from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh and I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I am one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. Now, pause for just a second. It's important to see where Jesus is saying these words because it's going to amplify his claims that he made about himself. And so verse 20 is important and we'll get back to it, but let's read it again. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So when he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to them, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just as I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he. And that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. 
as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that you are the light of the world. You're not just the the light to to one nation or to, to one race of people, but to the world. You're a light for all people. And so, Lord, my prayer today is that you would be a light to us. That through this text, we would see you in your gracious beauty and believe. Lord, I ask that what we see in verse 30 would be true in this room and in our church this morning. That many people would see and believe in you. Lord, grant us your grace and your love to share this message so that others would not die in their sins, but would have the light of life. Lord, speak to us today, we pray. Now let me invite you to pray and ask that God would allow you to see him in his light and his glory this morning. Pray and ask him now to speak to you through his word. And pray for me also, as we look at this claim for Christ, that I would just be able to to present it very clearly for us, that we could understand what Christ is claiming of himself, but also that we would understand what Christ is claiming for those who follow him. Would you pray that for me now? Jesus, we confess again that we believe that these words were written, that we would believe that you are the Christ and that in believing we would have life in your name. And so thank you for your words. Help us to understand today, we pray. Amen. Well, a few months back, um, I got a phone call from my wife, my beautiful wife, Lori, uh, and I I pick it up and she's like, "Um, our our light is on in the, the dash of our car our Pathfinder. And I was like, which light is it? Is it like a tire pressure light or is it an oil change light? Like what light is it? She's like, no, it's the check engine light. I'm like, okay, that, that could be a big deal when that light comes on. And so I get online and I, I Google and, it, and, and most of the time it's saying it's not a big deal. Like there's just little simple things that need to be fixed if that check engine light comes on. And so I'm kind of like, it's not significant. It's not that big of a deal, but we'll get it into to the dealership soon. Well, we get it into the dealership and uh, come to find out it was a big deal. And that light had something significant to tell us. Uh, they take off the, the cap of the coolant um, and they turn it over and it looks like there's a pink milkshake that's uh, been mixed together with our transmission fluid and our coolant together. And they look at us and they're like, well, it is a significant deal and you're going to need a new transmission for your car. And it was at that point, I'm like, okay, that light is extremely important. Like, when that comes on, we got to pay attention. So that was a few months ago. Uh, fast forward to this week, and uh, my wife calls me again, hey, um, check engine light is on. I'm like, take it to the dealership now. Like, as quick as possible, let's get it there. Let's figure out what's going on. And they come in, and it, it was something small this time. Instead of costing a few thousand, it cost us a few hundred. And I'm grateful for that. But... The good thing was it taught us to pay attention to that light because that light reveals something significant that's going on, right? And I, and I share that with you today because in this passage, Jesus is going to make this claim that I am the light of the world. And when this light comes on, when this light is center stage, we better pay attention. So, so something much more significant is happening when this light comes on. 
It's not just that there's something that could possibly kill your car. But Jesus is saying, if you don't believe and look at this light and respond to this light, it can mean death for your soul. I mean, Jesus even said in there that you don't see and you don't believe, and so there is death. So what I hope to do is walk through this text and help us to understand what Jesus is actually claiming with this statement, I am the light of the world, because it sounds great. This sounds like a great statement, but what does it mean? And specifically, not does it, what does it just mean for Christ, but what does it mean for us if we claim to be Christ followers? So that's what I want to do today. First, what does this tell us about Christ? And then what does it tell us about us if we claim to follow Jesus Christ? So first, what does it mean that Jesus is the light of the world? What does this mean? Well, what it means is that Jesus makes this claim on the light of the world. He is revealing truth and reality to us. That's what light does. It reveals things, right? When Jesus uses metaphor, when he talks about light, he's not talking about a light bulb moment where it's like, ah, I understand something. Jesus isn't talking about enlightenment, but he's talking about light. He's not talking about a light bulb moment, but the light by which we see everything else. Light reveals to us the reality of our world in a very practical sense. That's what it does. Light reveals reality. I mean, I don't know about you, but when you... If you get up in the middle of the night, right, and you're trying to use the restroom, you want to turn on a light, even if it's a small light, so you can see. You might be very confident, like, I know where the door is, and I, I know where the handle is, and I kind of know where the bathroom is, but you need the light. Why? Because the light allows you to see exactly where that door is, and exactly how it opens, and where it is. So it is with all of our life. When we look to Christ, and he claims to be the light of the world, he allows us to see how our world functions, how our world is built, because he is the designer and the builder of it. This is what light does for us. It allows us to see reality. Jesus reveals to us the way of our world. Sadly, many of us live our lives bumping into so much in our life and making so many mistakes, stumbling over our bad decisions after bad decisions because we're not aligning our life to the light of the world. There's a reason why God's word says that it's a lamp into our feet, right? It's a light into our path, that we, should, we could know the truth, that we could know reality. We could know in which way we should walk. That's exactly what Jesus is claiming here when he says he is the light of the world, that when we look to him, he shines a light on everything else. He gives us understanding about our identity. He gives us understanding about our purpose, he gives us understanding about every area in our lives. And this is important. This is extremely important for us. Because if we don't have Christ as the light of our life, we'll look at other things to reveal our world to us. We'll look at the culture and its views and try to use the culture's views to light our path. But the problem is, culture's views are always changing. So you're following down this path and you turn around and you're like, well, I thought I was going the right direction, but what, what culture said was good five years ago, now they're saying is bad. Or if we look at our feelings and we're like, our feelings are what are going to guide us. Whatever feels right, that's the path I'm going to follow. But if we're honest, that even changes weekly or daily. I mean, some of us made decisions that we thought were great decisions yesterday and today we're like, I don't know if that was a good decision, right? It's always changing. But Christ is a light that has no change in him. There's no shadow of turning about him. He is the light of the world that allows us to see all truth and reality through him. But this light, 
that Christ shines doesn't just show us the reality of our world. It shows us the reality of ourselves. The reality of ourselves. I mean, this is what light does, right? It allows us to see who we are. It allows us to see us. I doubt, maybe, maybe some of you, but I doubt any of us got ready this morning in the dark. We woke up and we left all the lights off and we brushed our teeth in the dark and we fixed our hair in the dark and we did all those things. We dressed in the dark. We probably didn't do that, right? In our houses, the brightest lights are found where? In our bathrooms, right? When we come and we stand in front of the mirror to see ourselves, right? We need that light to see ourselves. And when Christ makes the claim that he's the light of the world, he is going to reveal something about us. And in this passage, what he's gonna reveal is that we are lost in need of a rescue. That we are sinners in need of a savior. He's gonna say, I'm the light of the world that is showing you who you are to show you your great need. Your great need. Now, what gives Jesus the right to make this statement? What gives Jesus the right to say, I'm the light that, that reveals what is true in our world? I'm the light that reveals your identity and who I created you to be. Who gives Jesus the right to do that? Well, he does, for he's God. This is the second thing. When Jesus makes this claim that he's the light of the world, not only is he revealing truth, but he's also claiming that he's God. When Jesus makes this claim, I am the light of the world, this is a, a claim to divinity. When we hear this claim of I am the light of the world, we... We hear this in, in the first century or in our, our time differently than the people in the first century. We hear it as a positive statement. But people in the first century, when Jesus made this claim, it was like a religious grenade that Jesus just tossed into the group. When he makes this statement, I am the light of the world, he's pointing back to the divine name of God, Yahweh. I am. Seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus is going to make this claim of I am. And here he makes it with the attachment of the light of the world. Now it's interesting in verses 24 and 28, I encourage you to, to look there, mark this up, but see this. In our versions, it says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins, verse 24. And then in verse 28, when he's talking about lifting up the Son of Man, he says, then you will know that I am he. You see, in our translation, to make a better sentence in English, we include the he there. But if you looked in the original translation of the Greek, the Gospel of John, there is no he in that statement. He says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. He's making a claim about his divinity. Remember that, that, that I am statement is, what God tells Moses his name is back in the book of Exodus. Moses is like, okay, I'm supposed to go and tell these people to let, let the people go, let the, the, the people of Israel free out of slavery. Who am I supposed to tell them sent him? And God responds and he says, tell them I am that I am has sent you. And here Jesus looks at him and says, unless you believe that I am, unless you believe that I am God, I am Yahweh, then you will die in your sins. And unless you see me lifted up on the cross and understand that I am, then you will never be saved. You see, Jesus is making his claim to God, which is why he can show us our world and show us who we are. And he does it through his words, by what he claims about himself, but also where he made the statement. 
where he made this statement. Now, I know it's been a few weeks now, but if you look back in John chapter 7, verse 37, it tells us the setting of this chapter. All of this is in the same setting. And in verse 37, it says the last day of the feast. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. And if you can remember, I guess it was four weeks ago now, we looked at this passage and we talked about this. The Feast of Tabernacles. That was that camping trip that the people in the city would take for eight days, right? They'd go outside of the city and they would remember for that eight days how God had led them through the wilderness when they had no homes and they had no city and they had no land and how God had provided for them water from a rock, right? And Jesus made that statement, if you're thirsty, come to me. He was pointed to that. Well, in this section right here, the setting is still the same. It's still the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus is still making this claim at this time. And we talked about all the different traditions that they were doing to help remind them what God did for them. We talked about a few weeks ago that one of the things that they would do is they would get that water and they'd carry it from the outside of the city into the city and they would remember how God was this water and provided water for them. But another tradition that they had is they would actually light these golden candelabras, okay? And they would light these candelabras in the city. Now, these aren't small little candles like you would see in our houses. No, these are massive. <laughs> these are highest, high, the highest walls in the temple would have these candelabras. And they would hold about 65 liters of oil. So these were actually more like torches than candelabras. And they would light them in order to remind them of how when they were in the wilderness, that they had this cloud of fire that was there at night. So even when they were out in the wilderness and it was dark and they, you know, they didn't have Duracells or flashlights or electricity, they had this light above them that they were able to see even in the wilderness at night. And so they would do this act of lighting these candelabras throughout this week of the festival to remind them how God was the light for them when they needed it. Now when Jesus makes this claim, I am the light of the world, he's doing it where? I told you when I was reading it in verse 20. He's doing it in the treasury of the temple. Imagine this. Imagine the setting that's going on right here. Jesus is just earlier that day stood there where they're pouring out this water and they're singing a song about the salvation of God providing for them water when they were about to die. And he says, if you're thirsty, come to me. Now here at night on the same day, he stands there as these candles are lit behind him. And he says, I am the light of the world. And Jesus is saying that light in the, the wilderness back there that you're remembering that God provided for you. Yeah, I am the true light. I am he. He's making a bold claim in his divinity. He is the one that has the right to tell us about our world and to tell us who we are because he is God. And unless we believe that and trust in that, we will die in our sins. When Jesus makes this claim that I am the light of the world, this is a bold claim because it's not like the prophets of old who said, I point to the glory of God. And it's not like the religious leaders that are hypocrites at this time who discuss the glory of God. Rather, when Jesus makes this claim, he's saying, I am God who shines forth the glory. I'm he. Look to him and believe. This is what Jesus is saying in this moment. He's claiming that he's God. And in the midst of this, he's telling him, not only am I God and not only am I this light, but because of that, I will rightly judge. I will rightly judge. And if you notice when we're reading this, it, it seems like there's almost a contradiction that's going on in this passage. Because Jesus says, I judge no one. 
in verse 15, right? But then you fast forward just a few verses later in 26, he says, but there's much I'm going to judge. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're saying you're the light. You could show us all these things about our, our world and the reality. And then you're saying you're not going to judge, but you are going to judge. Jesus, what are you talking about? Well, John chapter 3 gave us clarity to this. And this is what he says in John 3. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What Jesus is doing in this moment is like, I haven't come to judge at this time. But there's much judging to be done. There's much correction in this broken world that has to be done. And I will judge, but not this day. This day I come that you would believe. That through this light you would see your sin and not leading to condemnation, but leading to the light of life. This is what God is doing in this moment. Christ is coming in grace, allowing people to believe. But still some people don't believe. And the next verse in John chapter 3 is one of the saddest verses in the Bible to me. It says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And in this is judgment, that the light has come into the world, right? This is Christ. Christ has come into the world. And yet people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. The reason why we don't want to come to Christ is because he has shined the, shined the light on us and shown us our sin. And we're like, I don't want to change. I don't want to let go of this thing. And so what we do, and the reason why we don't find life, why we don't find this light is because we love our sin more than we love our Savior. It's a sad verse. It's strange, honestly, to me. It's a strange paradox that people would love the darkness that enslaves them. Like a smoker who has lung cancer continues to cling to the very thing that's killing them. That's what Jesus is saying in this moment. There are many people whose eternal souls are perishing and they're clinging to the very thing that is killing them instead of finding the light of life. Now this is one of the, the beautiful things about Christ and the Gospel of John, but honestly, God in all of the Bible. When God gives claims about who he is, with that claim always comes an invitation. You realize that Jesus could have said these words of I'm the light of the world and it could have been true. And, and he could have said, I'm the light of the world that shows you your sin and you're gonna die in it, the end. That would have been true. It doesn't have to be good news in order for it to be true. Jesus could have came and that, he could have judged everything and that's where he could have left it. You're, I'm the light of the world, you're a sinner, you're gonna die in your sins, there is no hope. But that's not what Jesus did. He said, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me won't walk in darkness but will have the light of life. You see, there's this claim about who Jesus is and an invitation for you and I to believe this claim to be true and to find life in this statement. So Jesus gives this invitation. He gives the invitation, I'm the light of the world. If you come, whosoever, I love that, whosoever, this is for all people, anyone who would believe, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life.
have you accepted that invitation? Or have you just heard the claims of Jesus? You've heard the claims that Jesus is God. You've heard the claims that he's the light of the world. You've heard other claims, but have you received the invitation that if you believe that to be true, you won't die in your sins, but you will have the light of life? And if you have, then Jesus will look at you and say, because you believe, because you're saved, now you reflect this light. It changes you. And that's the second thing I want us to understand in this passage. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for us that Jesus said he's the light of the world? There's three things that Jesus brings up in this passage for us as Christians. And we're all, we find them all in verse 12. First, he says, if you're gonna claim that you know me and believe in me, then you follow me. You follow me. You follow Jesus Christ. Many of us try to follow Christ from a huge distance that the world and others would say, I don't even know if they're following Christ. They're so far back away from Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Those who follow me walk closely with me. Their life looks different because of me. Jesus is saying, I'm not looking for half-hearted followers. I want those that follow me diligently. He's not looking for us to follow him like we do on people on social media where we follow them and it costs us nothing and we can unfollow them whenever we want to. That's not what Jesus is looking for. Jesus is looking for people who would follow him with a deep, rich commitment to him. Jesus would say it like this. If anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me daily. Jesus says there is a cost to following me. You should follow me closely that people would see a difference in your life. Now, there is a great sense of weightiness when we think about following Christ. We hear that and we're thinking, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost us something to follow Christ. I'm going to have to sacrifice something. I'm going to have to take up the cross and follow Jesus. It sounds weighty, but it isn't burdensome. Walking in the light isn't something that's bad for us. It's actually far easier to walk in the light than the darkness. And so Jesus will look at us and say, I want you to lay something down and come follow me. But what we gain is far greater, far, far greater. This light, when we follow Christ, leads us to walk in freedom. To walk in freedom. And Jesus says, as we walk in that light, we will not walk in darkness. That's the second claim he makes for those of us that say we're Christians. We're going to follow him. We're going to reflect him. We're not going to walk in darkness. And we live in a dark world. We live in a dark, dark world that is eclipsed in the shadow of sin. There's temptation all around us. And when Jesus say, says this claim, they won't walk in darkness. What he's talking about is we won't walk in sin. We won't walk in impurity, but we'll have integrity in our lives. We will be marked with a sense of purity and a holiness and righteousness. We're not going to remain and walk in our sins and cling to them when Christ came to die for them. We're not going to continually walk in them. Now, does this mean that we'll never sin? No. This term here is talking about a lifestyle to continue in sin. We as Christians, we war with sin. We battle with sin. 
And some of us have really struggled with that. We're like, why do I wake up every day and I continue to struggle and battle with sin in my life? Why? Let me illustrate it like this. If you were to look out on a battlefield and a war is happening, there are two types of people that you would see on that battlefield. You would see one person who is running and dodging behind sandbags and running away from grenades and firing back. They are fighting, right? And then you see another person out there. They're not moving. Bolts are whizzing by them. doesn't phase them. Grenades are blowing up around them. They're not moving. They're just sitting there. Now, what's the difference between those two people? One is alive and one is dead. The one who is alive is fighting the war, is fighting the battle. The one that is dead, it's, they don't care about all the stuff going on. They don't care about the, the explosions and all these things because they're dead. And for some of us, we're like, why do I continue to war and fight and battle? Why is it such a struggle with my sin? It's because you're alive. It's because you see the war and the battle going on around you. So you're fighting back. You're resisting these temptations. Now, if you look at your life and you know that there's sin in your life and you're just like, I'm okay with it. It's all right. I can keep that here. Continue to do those things. Then you're probably dead in your soul. The light of life has not come upon your heart. You haven't believed that he's the light of the world yet. But those of us who struggle, be encouraged. You're fighting the good fight of faith. This is what Christ has called us to do. And as we fight in this fight of faith, we find the light of life. This is the third thing he says. If we're going to follow Jesus, we will have the light of life. What in the world does that mean? I mean, that sounds encouraging. It sounds like something I want, right? I want this light of life. But what does it mean for us as Christians to say we see the light of the world and we walk in the light of life? Well, multiple places in the Bible, it explains on this a little bit more than Jesus does in this moment right now. It tells us what it means for us to have the light of life and how it changes us as Christians. How we look at the light of the world and we reflect the light of Christ with others. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 tells us this. This is what it looks like to have the light of life. This is how our life is different because of it. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now that grumbling means complaining. It says, as we do this, we will become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you will shine as lights in the world. One of the ways we walk in the light of life is that we remove complaining and arguing from our lips. And I find this interesting. Of all the things that, that would allow us to reflect Christ, and to break this, this broken culture's view of Christ and us tells us not to complain. I mean, think about the number of things that could have been written in Philippians chapter 2. It could have said you will shine like lights in the world if you give your money away to the poor. It could have said that, but that's not what it said. It could have said if you give your body to the flame and you die for your faith, then you will be the light of the world. But that's not what it says. He could have said you could treat people with love and respect, and if you do that, then you will be the light of the world. But that's not what it says in this passage. He says if you want to be the light of the world, if you want to reflect the light of Christ, then you're going to be marked by not complaining. 
Man, that sounds so anticlimactic, doesn't it? Until you go into the real world and you try to live that out. You realize most of your conversation is about complaining in the first place. And you might even be thinking right now, right, like you're being too harsh on this. Everybody complains, right? Everybody does. And that's the point. God's word is saying if you want to shine brightly, if you want to reflect the light of Christ, then don't complain. Don't be like everybody else. Don't be like the darkness. Your life should look different. And this is what he's calling us to do. But he also tells us if we're going to live in the light of life, we're going to have that, then we also have to have the fellowship with believers. We find this in the, in the letters of John later on in the New Testament. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, right? This is fleshing out the application of what Jesus is saying here for us. He says, we will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I just want to slow down for a minute in this section because you see this verse. It's saying for us to live in the light of life, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship, we have a community of believers. I wholeheartedly believe that we take the church and the gathering of the church for granted. We forget how powerful this moment is. You read about what happened in the early church in, the, in Rome in the first century. It was because they saw the worship of the gathered believers and people were like, there's something different about them. They saw the way they sang and what they sung about and they're like, there's something different. The way they lived and the way they gave, the government couldn't even compete with them. It was interesting. They're like, man, they're serving their poor and our poor. How are they doing both of this? There was a change. There was a difference about them because of the local church. We take it for granted. Ah, maybe we'll take, maybe we'll get up. Maybe we won't. Maybe we'll go to church. And this is telling us if we want to be the light of life, then we have to have fellowship together. We have to do life together. This is how we are a light to a dark world. God's word is telling us this, that we should lift this up because this is one of the ways that we are a light. But don't even take God's word for it. Don't even take my word for it. Even the lost world is telling us this. The lost world is telling us this. USA Today, USA Today, this is not a Christian source. USA Today did an article, you can go look it up, how attending church in Holy Week can boost your mental health. Some of you may have read this, but it's, it's amazing. There's a recent poll that was done by Gallup Survey that found that people who prioritize attendance and worship services throughout the pandemic have emerged not only unscathed, but mentally improved. Every other subgroup that was surveyed went to the negative, regardless of race, age, political affiliation, gender, or income. The only people who move forward mentally and improve were those who continually or uh, consistently attended religious services. They're the only ones that are happier and healthier today than pre-COVID. Pew Research, also not a Christian research company, found the very same thing. They found that those who are religious adults who are active in Christian community are happier people. The National Library of Medicine found evidences that regular churchgoers live longer, happier lives. And because all this research is coming to the surface, Harvard jumped in and Harvard launched a human flourishing program to study the causes of human flourishing that they found in this, all these different researches. How in the world are people thriving when they have a religious community around them? 
And what they found, this is Harvard, they found that children who attended religious service regularly and prayed frequently had significantly less depression. They were less likely to use drugs and they reported greater levels of happiness. This is, this is Harvard. This is USA Today. They're telling us what we do as a church, gathering together, it matters. It makes a difference. It's a light to a dark world. Now, some people have tried to explain this. Well, maybe it, it's the communal element. Like, that's what it is. It's just people gathering together. And if they're in a community together, then all these healthy things happen. That's what must be. Maybe it's just people getting together. But as they did this research and they found sporting clubs weren't posting numbers like this. Your kickball club is not posting numbers like this. As great as sports are, those are not bringing about the mental health that our bodies need and the life that we long for. It's not changing us. There is something not just about the gathering of believers that matters, but what we're gathered about. We gather around the bright light of Jesus Christ who came and died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and to remove that guilt and that shame from our lives. He's the one that gives us this bright life that we would know how to live and have purpose. So when we look at our life and it's broken, we look at God's word and we're like, yeah, he said it was gonna be broken. But it doesn't stay this way and it gives us hope. It gives us hope. So we as believers, we go into COVID-19 and we look at the brokenness of this world and we're like, yes, this is how God describes the world. It's not perfect, but it will be. And it gives us a deeper, richer hope in our Savior. This is what God's word does for us. This is what Christ does for us as believers. And so may we not take for granted the gathered body of believers because it is a bright light to a lost world, but it's a bright light to our lost souls. Third thing that we find in scripture of how we find the light of life is from Matthew chapter five, verse 16. Jesus said these words, let your light shine before men that may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven. Good works is what he's calling us to do. Another way that we're a bright light, not only do we not complain, not only do we prioritize the body of believers worshiping God for who he is, but we also allow those things to change and to shape what we do with our lives. And so we do good works. We do good works. Light travels far faster than sound. Far faster. And so our good works will also travel far faster than our words will. So we can say we're a Christian, but if our life looks the same as everybody else's, they're not gonna believe. If you want your life to make a difference in this dark world, then you're gonna have to live different. You're gonna have to live different. We can't live the same way as our world lives and expect it to change. It's not what light does. We need to be different. And in our difference, in our way we give and the way we serve and our good works, we put on display the goodness of God that people would turn to him and worship him. See, all we're doing is re reflecting the light of Christ to a, a lost and dark world. And as we close this morning, I just want to caution you, and please listen to me in this. I want to caution you not to try to live this passage in reverse. For some of us, we hear this today and we're like, okay, what this means for me is I need to do good works, I need to not complain, I need to be a part of the church, and then I'm going to spread light. That's what's going to happen. It's not how it happens. This passage starts with Jesus' claim 
And then he extends an invitation for us to believe in that. And many believed in him. And because we believe in him, then we find the light of life. We don't work hard enough and do our good works and and don't complain, and then we find the light. No, the light of the world comes in and shines on our hearts. And because he has shined on our heart, we reflect him. We cannot do it apart from him. I mean, some of those things we hear, and we're like, that's hard. It's hard to not complain. It's hard to be a part of a church regularly and a small group. It's hard for us to do these things of good works. It's hard, yes, if we do it on our own. But Christ says, I will give you strength. I will give you power. For I am the light of life. So don't try to do it in reverse. Look to him first. Look to him first. It's like the, the moon. The moon has zero light of its own. Unlike a, a lamp or the sun. The only light that the moon has is a reflection of the sun. And the same is true for us, that we have no light of ourselves, but only what we reflect from him. So let's come and receive this invitation of his claim and find life. But then may we reflect this light to a lost and dark world, to the glory of his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you sent Christ to be the light of life, the light of the world. So that, Lord, we could see our faults and our failures, but not be stuck in them, but have the hope that you have also shown us the way. You've shown us the truth. You've shown us the life, how we can find our forgiveness. Lord, we we confess this morning that we believe that you're the light of the world, Lord, that died on the cross. And you went to darkness in our place. You took on our sin in order that we could be forgiven. In order for us to to read these words and know that if we believe that you are I am, that you are God, that we would not die in our sins, but that we would have life and life everlasting. And so Lord, thank you. Thank you for the truth of who you are, but also the claims of who you've called us to be in you. Lord, may we reflect that light if we believe. And today I pray for those that haven't believed, that they would take that step into the light. They would leave behind the dark things of this world and cling to you, the God of all creation, the God of light. Lord, it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand now and let's sing to Jesus.